Why don't you move forward? That would really be good. So if you can, why don't you, if you want to, you don't have to, but if you want to, why don't you move forward? And, you know, we're um, kind of wrapping up a series, My Home, My Castle, or Your Home, Your Castle. And we've um, talked, the first week we talked about uh, marriage. And last week I was gone, but Kelly did a great job. I listened to it this morning earlier when I was, was up, and he did a great job talking about family. And today we're talking about parenting and kids. And whether you um, are married or not, or whether you have kids or grandkids, whatever, whatever situation you're in, we're all kids. We're all part of God's family. We're all God's kids. So we're all kids in that regard. But, um, and, I, and I thought about how, you know, for me, I love being a dad, and I, like, really enjoy my kids. They're a little bit older now, which is great. Um, but it's a challenge to be a parent. But you get pretty excited about kids when you know they're coming, if you're a parent. And when Jessica, our first, was born, um, went through the birth stuff, everything went great. We brought her home that next day, went to the bedroom, laid her on our bed. And Gene and I looked at each other and we went, okay, now what do we do? You know, because there's not like a total instruction manual to know exactly what to do. Um, with Kaylee, Kaylee was our second one, our second daughter, and Kaylee, um, Kaylee, Kaylee came really fast. She, um, she came really, really fast. There wasn't a lot of time to prep for everything. And we got to the hospital, and I don't know, I don't know whether it was like a two-for-one sale that day on kids, but when we got to the hospital, um, it was like happening. Like, it was kid world. People were being born all over the place. There were like, we barely got a room. Like, I knew that um, our doctor, he's not going to make it. I mean, it's going to happen that fast. And I got into our room with Jean. They checked her out and said, oh, yeah. Then they ran. We never saw that nurse again. That was our nurse assigned to us. I'm going, our doctor, he's not going to make it because we're about to have a kid. And uh, finally, it wasn't too long, and Jean's like, it's about time. And so I just went to the door. Nurses were running all over and helping people all over, and kids were being born all over the place. I ran out, opened the door, called down the long hallway to the nursing station at the other end and said, hey, we're going to have a kid like right now. And uh, we got some help. It was like the on-call nurse. It wasn't even the nurse assigned to us that helped. I, I'm ready to scrub up. I mean, I'm ready. I'm thinking, I'm birthing my own kid. I'm not, no, no, uh, no um, background in that, no ability to know what that is, but I go, but it looks like it's God, it's going to be me. So I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm going. I'm about ready to scrub up. So in comes this nurse, and sure enough, Kaylee's born really, really quickly. And one of the things I noticed was that in me as a dad, like I am totally pumped now that I have my second daughter. I'm like mega excited about it. I'm proud of this girl. I'm proud of my wife, but I'm like, I'm excited and ecstatic to be a dad. So I called, let, you know, friends know. One of my friends, John, came by the hospital to check us out, make sure everything was going okay, and I wanted to introduce him to, Kay to Kaylee. And so in the hospital, it's kind of outside of Seattle, big hospital, um, there was this uh, nursery area, and it was a big one, and it had a hallway outside so that you could stand in the hallway and look through these big plate glass windows. There's like five of them, and they're about five by five. There's a huge, long hallway 
filled with kids in little bassinets. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, there was a gazillion kids. It was like, uh, you know, I don't know what it was, but everybody was having them that, that week. So I get John, and I'm bringing him out here, and I walk him over, and we're standing in front of the window, and I'm, I'm pointing out Kaylee, and I'm telling him how you just her great OS traits, not necessarily the brown traits on Jean's side, but I'm just talking about how her OS traits, you know, she's just, her eyes, and she's got kind of that long extended upper lip that OS's have, and, and I'm pointing out all this stuff. Then this thought hits me. You're standing in front of the wrong window, and your kid's over here. And it was right. And I was going, this kid that I'm like, so excited about it. isn't even my kid. So I had to move over here, move John over here, said, no, there's my daughter right there. We laughed about that pretty, pretty good. I think we brought the right kid home from the hospital. But anyway, but I'm saying sometimes, sometimes parenting is challenging. I love being a dad. I love being a parent. But it is incredibly challenging. There, there, are, there are things that we look for to help guide us through life and whether it's in parenting or relationships or whatever, we look to Scripture and God's Word to give us some guidelines about that. And we could choose several different places in Scripture to land, but I want to choose this one for us this morning because I think it's the one God gave to give instructions to people about how to be families and how to influence and develop children. It comes from Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 9, it is called the Shema. I think it's up on the, behind me. So here we go. Let me just read it for you. Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you are at home and when you are on the road, when you are going to bed and when you're getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gate. Now, for a long time, the children of Israel kind of wandered around in terms of listening to all kinds of people and countries and different gods and things to try to get direction. And at some point, God puts this piece together, and it's recorded here for us so that we'll get it, so that we'll get God's direction for us in terms of family and relationships. The Shema is probably the first thing that a child learns to memorize because he's born with it in a traditional Jewish home that is spoken in the morning, in the evening, at special events, at festivals and feast times, at Sabbath gatherings when a person passes away at that celebration. This is spoken and said together. It is more than likely the first passage of Scripture that Jesus memorized as a young boy. It is essential and core to understanding of who God is and what His design is for the family and for relationship with Him. Let me just note several things, and if you're following along with your notes, you might want to write these down. 
There are, I think, three foundational lessons for families and parents that come out of the Shema. First is loyalty to God. Verses 4 and 5. Listen, O Israel. And that's what Shema means, to listen, to hear. Hear what God has to say. The Lord is our God, the Lord alone. It's to remind us to be loyal to God. God is the one who directs and loves and guides us throughout life in our relationship and in our family. The second is the transmission of our faith and love to our children. How we do that, why that's so important. It says, and you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands. And the important thing here for us is to get, it's not so much about the commands, it's who is behind the commands, the relationship part. You must commit yourself wholeheartedly to God, to these commands that I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road, when you're going to bed, when you're getting up. Immerse yourself in these thoughts about God. Immerse your thoughts, your thoughts about who God is. And then the final one is keep, keeping consistent mindfulness of the teachings of God. Keeping consistent mindfulness of the teachings of God. Listen to this. This is interesting. Tie them to your hands, which means, which means that put those commands, those thoughts about God in your hands. When you're working your job, when you take them to whatever you're called to do, when your hands are about your business of the day, have those things connected to your hands, the thoughts of God. It says, wear them on your foreheads as reminders. In other words, put them close to your mind so that your mind is immersed in the thoughts of God all day. So that your hands as they work, as your mind as it's thinking, is engaged in the thoughts of God. And then lastly, it says, write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. On the doorposts of many Hebrew homes, you will see this mezuzah. It's a small little case that is tacked upon the doorpost of the home. It's just big enough to encase some small bit of paper. And you know what's inside of that little case? The Shema. Because it's a reminder of the commitment of God and the commitment of a family to put God first. In their thinking, and their family relationships, the Shema is essential for us to get. I love that. It is a challenge for us to be reminded that God is at the uppermost of all of the relationships that we have. Why is that so important to us, the role of parents and children, and the role of church in developing the spiritual formation of children? Why is that so important? Let me ask you a question this morning. I have a little bit of cold, so I'm going to kind of drink water as I go. Hey. How many of you love kids? If you don't have your hand up, you know, the person next to you just like, no, I'm serious, like how many people love kids? Okay, all right, that's okay. Um, that's awesome. And you would say, I love kids. I want, I want kids. I want kids to grow spiritually. I mean, I want them to get to know God. I want them to know God in such a way that then God is going to move throughout the course of their life. And they're going to discover what it means to be a spiritual person with real depth. And when stuff comes across their life, I'm going to pray that they just are able to battle through those storms and conquer them with God. How, much, how many of us would say, I would love for Hope to be a church that stands out in our community, 
as being a place where families and children are grown and nurtured and raised to be strong core people. How many would say, I want that? I mean, I would love to have that. Of any of the things that we could hallmark the church, that would be one of the top of the list, would be that this would be a place where it's known all over the whole area that when you go to Hope, you're going to find a place that loves you as a family and loves your kids and is going to invest in them and raise them and is going to nurture you and encourage you to be the greatest parent in the world or grandparent or single parent or whatever, but that you are going to get invested in and your child is going to grow to know God. We'd all say, wow, we'd love to be known for that. We would love for that to be one of the hallmarks of the church, but it doesn't just happen. It takes commitment. It takes real commitment. It takes sacrifice. It takes saying, you know, it's going to take all of us that say we love kids to actually do something about it. It means that we're going to have to be first and foremost beginning to be people of prayer, that that vision could become a reality. And am I willing, am I willing to be a person that God can use to make that vision a reality, or am I not? Do I want to give of myself sacrificially so I might give up some things I like to do or want to do so that children, families can grow to be like him? That's a challenging thing. It doesn't just happen. It would take all of us, most every one of us, in some way to be involved in making that vision reality. That's just the way it is with any strong ministry in a church. It takes commitment. It takes sacrifice. It takes work. It takes the health of people committed to God to make it become a reality. What would it take? Well, when, a family, uh, when family dynamics grow and kids enter into the picture, life as we know it is never the same. Amen? How many people have kids? All right. Okay, most, most of us. And even if you don't have kids, you've been around enough kids, and you are a kid. So we're all kind of engaged in this talk, whether you're a grandparent, a parent, whoever you are, just a kid, it's like you can be checking out and seeing how your parents are doing at this stuff. That's okay, too. But here we go. The dynamics grow and change when kids enter the picture. And for all of us, this is really an important piece. I wrote down this little uh, kind of acrostic thing, kids, on there, which comes kind of from Joshua 24, where Joshua talks about um, kind of an essential core of what his family dynamic is going to be like. So that's on there for you. But what happens to marriages when children enter the picture? And this is a talk about parenting, but it also has a lot to do with the relationship of husband and wife as they become mom and dad. So that's kind of where we're headed this morning. What happens to marriages when children enter the picture? As soon as the doctor whacks the baby on the rear and says, it's a boy or it's a girl, an organizational shift takes place. With the addition of a child, a dual resignation takes place. The wife resigns from her primary role, that of being a wife, and she becomes a mother. And she immerses herself in the lives of her children, the needs, the wants, and the desires. She, in a sense, marries them. And often, this shift in focus causes her to be pulled away from her husband. These are generalities, but this is often really, really true. Likewise, the husband resigns himself from his primary role as husband and becomes a father. And with additional responsibility of children, he often steps up in his career and buries himself in his work 
to make sure he provides for his family. The demands of the job become his priority. In essence, he often marries his career. Often a husband and wife relationship gets pushed apart, and there is a major focus shift off of the marriage and onto the child. Now the shift becomes, the child becomes the center of the universe. And catch this, and children like being the center. Children like being the center. They like it when parents orbit around them. They like it. I was in the store yesterday in a Barnes and Noble, and there was a little girl that probably was maybe two years old. And she was raising heck. She was just out of control, screaming, yelling, running up and down. I mean, if you were trying to do something in Starbucks or you were trying to look at a book, she had everybody's attention, out of control. Kids like to be at the center. It's better for them when they're at the center, they think. But what does that do to us? What does that do to a parent when people are like that? Oftentimes, the, the activities, responsibilities can begin to rob or pull the marriage away from quality time, growth together, conversation, emotional connection. How do we keep a balance? God designed for family, God's design for family is not random. He provides an order and a design and a pattern. Pretty basic, but here we go. So if you're following along with notes, it'll come up on the board, but you'll need to write this stuff in. So here's a family flow chart. So it's coming up. So here's the top one. The top uh, little rectangle up there, you want to write in these words, God-CEO. God-CEO. That means that God is the CEO. God's rightful place in the family flowchart is God is at the very pinnacle of what happens in the family when it's designed by God. God's the CEO. There's a book called Child CEO that is a really, really good book on keeping relationships in balance. And I think I listed that on the resources list at the back. That's a great little book. But this is God, the CEO at the top. That's the top of the flowchart. It's to obey his standards on how we live as parents and how we teach our children. That's why the Shema is so important. Keep God at the center of our home as well. The next tier relates to marriage relationship. That next tier, we want to put husband-wife in that next one. And a horizontal line that connects those two words, husband and wife. Because it's important for us to recognize that we need each other as husband and wife Side by side, they are one flesh in the same box. A successful family begins by putting God first and working to make sure that the marriage relationship takes a place of prominence in the family and doesn't drop to number three. And that happens really easily for a lot of us. It's easy to have your kids jump into number two's times, into that number two slot when they don't belong there. Number two is a strong marriage husband and wife, that's that area right there. You know, and if you're a single parent, that's great. You need to have people pouring into you. You need to have people pouring into you to help you continue to grow and be supported. And we want to we be a place that also helps to provide some of that. So there you go. I love this quote. I don't know who said it. It's been 
kind of moved around a bunch of different times, but it says this. The greatest gift a father can give to his children is to love their mother. I like that. The greatest gift a father can give to his children is to love their mother. And I would add, the greatest gift a mother can give to her children is to love their father. That's really, really important. That's why that, that middle box is so essential. That core value of the love between husband and wife is really, really important. Now, in the box below, write children. Children fall in line under parents. God loves children. No mistake about that. God loves children. He does. He knows their ups and downs. He knows the ins and outs of what it is to be a parent. He's had rebellious kids. He loves them. He's had angry kids. He's had flaky kids. He's had kids that don't give a rip about them. He still loves them. He's had wayward kids and selfish kids. He's seen it all. He's lived through it all. He still delights in children. I love the fact that Jesus uses that illustration of the 100 sheep. One of them wanders away. And Jesus goes after what? The one that wandered away. If you're a wandering person, and we all wander at some point in life, if you've wandered away, Jesus is coming after you. Because God loves children. He doesn't let you just drift away. He's after you. He wants to draw you back into the fold. He wants to strengthen you. He doesn't want you abandoned or weak or flailing around in life. He wants you to connect with him. God loves children. He'll go to, he'll go to any length to build a solid, loving relationship with you. There is no length that he wouldn't go to. Jesus said that he'd even die for us, and he did. God loves children. He wants them to be strong and healthy and emotionally balanced and secure and loved. Martin Mole said this. I like this. He said, when we become parents, it's like someone installed a bowling alley in our brain. <laughs> I love that. That's partly true, isn't it? Like when, when you become a parent, man, everything seems to go up for grabs. God loves kids. How do we nurture our marriage while we nurture our children? Let's look at a family relationship a little bit differently this morning. Let's say that the husband and wife, uh, that the husband and wife are the main branch of a bank. They're the main branch. And they decide to open a satellite branch that needs and deserves attention, emotional attention, time, energy, care, and affection. And the main branch makes deposits into that satellite branch, and the satellite wiggles and giggles and coos and burps and smiles back at the main branch. And so the main branch decides to open a second satellite and a third and however many they want to at some point the main branch looks at each other and wonders what happened what happened and they're exhausted and they have no time for each other and they become distant and they've forgotten important things you ever forgotten important things one of, one of our friends a, a couple older than us um, that we did some ministry with some years ago. They had been married for quite a while. They could not have kids. And so they decided to adopt uh, a child. And they adopted this little baby boy. 
name happened to be Scott, not me. But our friends adopted this little boy, and they were pastors, and, and they were doing all kinds of church ministry stuff. And one Sunday, they got through church and got in their car and went to the restaurant and got to the restaurant, and they'd only had Scott for about a month, and they realized we forgot something. They forgot Scott. Scott was back at church, sleeping in the nursery, luckily, but they felt pretty weird about that. They, weren't, they didn't have the nine-month ramp-up time. They didn't have any of that stuff. They adopted this. They weren't used to that, but they forgot something really important. You know, in our marriages, we can forget some things that are really, really important, and we don't want to do that. We want to make sure that God is helping us to stay on top of the really important stuff that we're dealing with. Somehow things go out the window. You know, it's okay. Jesus' parents forgot him once. So if you've forgotten your kid once, maybe just once, <laughs> happened to Jesus as well. But somehow things can go out the window. And the main branch, the emotional bank account, is well and can get well into the red if we're not careful. I love what it says in Proverbs 4.23. It's a verse we use often. Above all else, guard your heart. Keep on track with your heart. To guard is to not allow negative behaviors, overwhelming pressures, destructive influences, penetrate and enter the center of who you are with God. Protect your heart. God says, I will help you protect your heart. Guard your heart. Each of us has an emotional bank account. Psychologist Willard Harley calls this our love bank. In his book, His Needs, Her Needs for Parents, which is an excellent book, I put it at your list there, we know what it's like to have positive investments in our life. It feels great when people positively are investing in our life. Those are the people that encourage us, say words to challenge us, lift us up, hold us up, cheer us on. Those are the, those are the emotional positive deposits being made into your life and in mine. We need those people that do that. They encourage us along the way. When we positively invest in our spouse, we're making direct deposits into their emotional bank account. We're making healthy, positive de deposits. If we're a single parent, we need to have those close, positive relationships that pour into us to bolster who we are. We need our emotional a bank account full and growing. If you're a spouse, you have the ability to deposit love units into your account, into the, into the account of your spouse. If we do things to make our spouse feel bad or tear them down, we are withdrawing from their account in a negative way. Those are words that are said that are not helpful. You shouldn't have done it that way. That was your mistake. We're going to pay for that mistake. Or if you're a child, you'll never amount to much. I don't know what you thought you were doing. You can't do that. Those are negative withdrawals from your emotional bank account. We've all heard them. We've all lived with them. We know how hard it is. And we know how difficult it is to balance the number of those. You need to hear way more positive things to somehow overwhelm the negative. We can make withdrawals in a negative way from our spouse's emotional bank account. Dr. Harley asked a question to hundreds and hundreds of couples. He said this, 
what could your spouse do for you that would make you the happiest? That was really interesting. He classified their answers into 10 emotional needs lists. And he discovered this. Incredible. He discovered this. Out of the 10 emotional needs list, the five most important to men were the five least important to women. We don't always understand each other. That's why that book, Love Languages by Chapman, is such a good book. It helps us to recognize we need to understand how our spouse, our mate, thinks. And what emotionally charges them, helps them, encourages them, and develops them. I can work in the garden, in the yard, all day. I can clean our garage. I can paint the interior rooms of our home. Jean's like, oh, that's nice, way to go. But if I bring Jean a rose, her emotional bank account goes up. I'm not saying to guys, don't clean your garage. I'm just saying. We need to understand how our spouse and how their emotional bank account is filled. And we have to work at that. And that's a good thing. Anyway, I took that list of 10 uh, categories that he had, and I broke it down into four, and I'm just going to pour into those really quickly for you. They're on your, they're, your uh, sheet today. So I'm looking at your emotional bank account. Here's the first one. The first that I put ones into is talk, conversation. Conversation may vary in depth, but it is moving toward investing and understanding. It talk cultivates, it nurtures openness. It helps for us to understand honesty. It allows for vulnerability when we talk. Not just at surface levels, but with our spouse, we need to move deeper levels of vulnerability and openness with them to be known. It says in Ephesians 4.15, instead speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. An example of the maturity that we need to have. What does that teach our kids when we do that? It teaches our kids honest, clear, and loving conversation and to live into that. Here's the second one, time. Companionship. It is to set time aside to be together, just the two of you. This is easy to get where we just let that drift away on us and we stop spending time with our spouse. Are you spending the most time with the things that are genuinely most important to you? If you hear nothing else today and you're a married person, maybe that's what you need to hear. Are you really spending time with the person that is most important to you, your spouse? I want to correct something in the notes. The verse I really wanted was John 14.23, not John 4.23. But John 14.23, it's not in there, but it says this. Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. Jesus said, I want to abide with you. I want to be in a place of relationship where I spend time with you. To abide means to take time. That's what that's about. When we take time with our spouse, what does that teach our children? It teaches our kids that time for mom and dad as, as well as time with them is essential and vital and of high value. If you don't spend time with your spouse, your kids will recognize that. Here's the third one, and I broke it into kind of two, an A and a B category, but it's touch. The first is A, emotional touch. Emotional touch is affection, caring, encouraging, cheering on. 
It is empathy and connection, gentleness and security. This is a high area of emotional love for women. Guys need to get that. This is a high area of love and emotional bank account for women. B is physical touch. This is physical intimacy, uh, a care to meet and complete the physical needs of the husband or wife. This is key. This is a high value in generalization for men. But it's keeping connected emotionally with touch for people and physically. The scripture says it this way in Ephesians 5. A man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again, I say each man must love his wife as he loves himself and the wife must respect her husband. What does that teach our kids? Well, I think it teaches and models a loving relationship between a husband and wife and a mom and a dad who care about each other and care about meeting the needs of each other. Here's the last one, teamwork. That's mutual support. It supports financially, domestically. It works together to resolve issues and agree on actions together. It's about family commitment, a solid and sold-out desire to be a unified as a couple. Ephesians 4.16 says, He makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other part grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. What does that teach kids? That teamwork and mutual stuff. It teaches confidence in the strong family unit. Now, you know, friends, you cannot shortcut any of these four. You need them all. You need them all. And they will guide you and model a healthy marriage to your kids. And that's God's design. Not every one of us finds ourselves perfectly in God's design. I get that. Not all marriages work out the way we'd hope they do. I get that. But we don't wander away from God's design to stay with God in the process of no matter what our relationship is like right now. But if you're connected in marriage to your spouse, these are the guidelines to help you become stronger and listen to what God says, not what I say, what God says to you. If you're a single parent, listen to what God says in his word. Live and be obedient to what God is teaching you. Lean into other people around you to help make some of your life more complete and strong and secure. That's why church is such a vital thing. It's, it's a place where it is a, it is a place where community happens. You don't just walk in and out of the door. No, you connect with people that can pray for you and care for you and come alongside of you. At the very close, I just wrote this down. It's, it's from a book from Jim Burns called Ten Building Blocks of Happy Family, another really, really good book. And in it, he uses this little, this, just this little kind of set of phrases. It's called parenting with awe. Expressing affirmation, creating warmth, and giving encouragement. Who wouldn't want those? Who wouldn't want to live in an awesome family? Who wouldn't want to live in an awe-filled family? Who wouldn't want to be in a marriage that is filled with awe?
Who wouldn't want to be the child of parents who are people of awe? Who wouldn't? Who wouldn't want to be in a church that was an awe church? Expressing affirmation, creating warmth, and giving encouragement. Our challenge is to be the people that live those out for our spouse, for our kids, for our grandkids, for our friends, whoever. Our challenge is to be God's kids. And God's kids live by God's design. And God's design is that we would be people of awe, expressing affirmation, creating warmth, and giving encouragement. Hey, why don't you pray with me? God, thank you this morning that you love kids. Thank you, God, that in your way, you call us just to be your kids, no matter what we're facing in life right now. No matter if we've drifted off and away from you or we're standing close, you're there. Thank you, God, that you're a father, a loving, heavenly father. You desire more than anything else to keep us close to you. So today, if you're here and you feel like, hey, I've drifted away, I've wandered off, doesn't take much to call out to God and say, God, I, just, I need you to come get me. If you're here and you're a parent and you're struggling in your marriage and you're struggling with your kids, you know, it's take that stand and say, God, I need to put you first. I need to trust you first. I need to help you work on my marriage. I need you to help me with my kids. But God, I need to tell you, I need your help. Maybe you're here today and you go, I've got grandkids that are out of control. God, how, how in the world can I help them? Or my own, my own kids or whatever. But God, thank you that you're a loving father that hears and understands, comes alongside. Would you do that today, God? Come alongside of us and bless us as we look to you to guide us through life. We pray in Jesus' name.